Howdy, folks. I'm Jaden. Hey, this is Tati. And this is Nia. So today we're going to be going to Maxville, the physical site where people were logging. But first, I think it's important that we talk more about the history and how Maxville became to be and what that was like. So Nia, could you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so Maxville was established in 1923 by the Bowman Hicks Lumber Company. These loggers came by boxcar. Many came by train and bus. What do you think the experience of the residents of Maxville when they stepped off the boxcars and realizing that new climate and that new terrain and landscape from the south all the way to the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, up in the mountains? Yeah, what what do you think that was like? I imagine that it must have been really hard um, because if you think about the climate of the South at that time, um, it had already been cultivated for so many years. In some places of the South, it's super flat and um, just different trees, different animals, different wildlife, and a whole different way of life um, in the South than in the Pacific Northwest. It's hot in the South, but in the Pacific Northwest, it can get really, really cold in the winters. When the Black residents stepped out of the boxcars, sometimes they were not expecting such a cold expanse, and they weren't really prepared um, with clothes or shoes or supplies to live in such a cold space. Let's sit on that for a second. These future residents didn't know what was to be expected when getting off their boxcars, traveling in a new state with different terrain and different landscapes. We've been talking a lot about what Maxville is and how Maxville became, but let's actually go to the, to the site and speak with Gwen. I am here today at the Maxville Heritage Interpretive Center in Joseph, Oregon, with the amazing Miss Gwen Trice. Hi, this is Gwen Trice at the Maxville Heritage Interpretive Center. It's such a treasure to have you come and visit. We're so thrilled to have you on the side of Maxville and to find out a lot more about the work we do. Welcome. Thank you so much. So excited to be here. The Maxville Heritage Interpretive Center in Joseph, Oregon, occupies the ancestral and traditional lands of the Nimipu, the Nez Perce, Cayuse, Umatilla, and Walla Walla peoples. We humbly acknowledge and celebrate the original inhabitants' continuing connection to this land and community. I think um, one of the main questions that have been on my mind about Maxville and the Maxville story is, or just about the tensions between the white and black sides of town and this story being a story of black resilience um, as well as black survival and the complexes that come with that. Good point. How did Bowman Hicks segregate the town specifically? What did it look like in their day? Yeah, so there was a white side of town and a black side of town. 
the houses that black people usually occupied were more like shacks, like a one bedroom situation that could be easily movable for the work that was done. I believe they also lived a little further from like the, the town center. In addition to strict racial segregation, the company divided single men from families. The significant population of Greek immigrants were separated from U.S.-born white laborers. All of the United States had Jim Crow laws. Every state at that in the 1920s, in the early years. The hierarchy is, you know, whites get the best jobs, the most pay. And when you come down the sort of the ladder of different jobs, the most dangerous jobs went to the African-Americans as sawyers. Um, trees could, could fall on them, would fall on them. Oregon, again, coming back to the Klan. The Klan was the largest social club in Oregon. Uh, many people came down with the blacks um, established here. They had over 200 people in a parade in downtown Wallowa. As far as Oregon's concerned, it was a very strong social club to create a certain um, environment for the dominant culture. And so they had a really strong plan for kids as well. They also had um, segregated baseball teams. Uh, the talk of the town is that the Maxville team, the black team, was the better team. I wonder what that's about. Sometimes the teams would come together and play larger cities, and that was kind of one of the one of the ways that the town was united as one community, both black and white, as well as when people were working. It was definitely a hard environment to work in as you're felling these large old growth trees. Both white and black people had to watch each other's backs and make sure that they wouldn't be harmed. You have your own laws of you've got to watch out for each other. You're going to take care of each other. You may save each other's lives. And this land equalized all of the things that came before to the same place that put us in equal ground. We were all fighting the elements, right? We were all figuring out what's going to happen with the food and communication or connection with one another. What I saw and what I, I understand from this is that the land was that equalizer for them as well, as it puts them um, at equal boundaries with nature. I heard about your recent land acquisition for the Maxville Heritage Site. How do you feel about that? And can you tell us a little bit more about um, the land acquisition? Yes. So um, our organization has been working over the last several years in multiple ways to do a lot of education work at the site, preservation work, and to dream about what it would look like to expand our education and research and connections to the land. And so the site that's been purchased is, um, includes 
the approximate 95 acres of the original Maxville town site that my father and grandfather logged in, um, um, and they came here in 1923, but there's surrounding timberlands that are part of that acquisition. So 240 acres um, has been raised through the generosity of individuals, through two amazing foundations, the Meyer Memorial Trust and the Collins Foundation. And we are closing that on the 7th of June. The energy, I can hear the, the voices of the kids right now as they run and there's laughter and there's wonder in that beautiful space with all of the migratory birds and just the pristine night skies. I mean, it just is a dream come true. It is. It really is. I could never imagine myself in a space like this. Like, I, if this is beyond my wildest dreams. Just to be in the land and being able to, like, yeah, make those connections through through myself, like, make my own connections with this land. Um, but also to be knowledgeable and to be aware of the connections that were formed to this land before me and how and learn how to best steward those same type of connections. Um, because it's not just starting with me, obviously. It's not just starting with you. This has been going on for centuries, millennia. And um, yeah, the land deserves the stewardship that it once had. Um, and I think it will be happy to be stewarded in that way again. I think that the land will thank us in so many ways that we get to watch over the years as this work continues, as we um, begin to, I keep wanting to say, clean up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you've got a forest that's such a big part of it is, mm -hmm. is what makes a healthy forest and mm -hmm. really understanding what that looks like and understanding the wildlife and understanding um, the patterns of, of the animals that um, come through and, and our impact. We want to make sure that we're honoring a very light footprint in that space while serving the community with this um, opportunity to learn more and to walk um, on the land while they're learning, mm -hmm. as well as to have a space for others that don't live in the community that might live outside of the area within Oregon or from any visitor coming to the space that we can offer an alternate um, experience mm -hmm. within the space. Yes. It, it truly is an alternate experience, different from anything that you can get anywhere else. Um, it was the first time that I've seen elk um, in like in front of my eyes, just a few hundred feet in front of me. Like, and those, that animal is huge. They're big. I never knew that they were so big. Um, and like being able to tell the difference between an elk and a deer and seeing bald eagles, like everything, it's just dreamlike yes and we intend to, to keep that dream um, 
inspired for everyone that comes. Yes. People that don't know anything about what we're doing understand and can appreciate that we're giving justice to the land of the people that were there before us, the stewards that came before us. There's a justice of the land and how it was used then that we're honoring deeply. We want to begin that healing process. Gwen's work also includes collaboration with the Nez Perce tribe, as well as the Confederated Tribes of the Umatilla Indian Reservation, who also use the spaces that Maxville now sits on. The wildlife. I don't know that I want to hunt on Maxville. I have an issue with that. I would like for it to be a sacred place for the elk to be. To be able to look at the migratory bird. There's a migratory pattern there. I want to protect that. I want to protect the dark skies, this justice of humans so that they may be in contact to touch the land. The site will be fully functional. We will have solar power. We will have some um, wind turbine, and it will be... Um, camouflage in such a way as to meet in with our environment. We're looking for hydro that we can pull in water, that we have the cabin up, we have the camp spaces available, ADA friendly trails so that there's no cement out there, but those trails go through. We've got a couple of natural basins on the south side that we are exploring. So we want to make a natural amphitheater for presentation and music, that we have a staff with a person that helps the maintenance and to take care of the grounds, as well as a really strong program, education program management, so that we've got um, multiple types of program for students from kindergarten through 12th and then others for um, university and master's program. I would like to see um, the wintertime develop to have um, people to be able to snowshoe in and do some winter barbecuing or whatever the meals are and to be, you know, sleeping in the snow is not a, a new thing. And so to have, you know, figure out what that might look like for those hardcore winter enthusiasts that may want to come through or do cross country and to really enjoy those spaces during that, that time as well. Um, lifelong learners, um, an opportunity for all Oregonians to come and understand more about multicultural logging in Oregon. It's called timber culture. So I want to reflect the timber culture of Oregon. When this first lodge is their country, they log their country. Maxville has been the central focus. 
and to make sure that we tell the voices of the the Japanese loggers, the Chinese loggers, the Filipino loggers, the Guamanian, Hawaiian, Greek loggers, that there's a voice in all of that um, to, t to tell that story, that full story. We would also have an annual exhibition baseball game of the Maxville baseball team, and they would play against, say, maybe Little Leaguers or we would just create like a city league with women and men in it, whatever that might look like, but to encourage the stories around it so that we can create uh, another layer of understanding of the tribes that had their baseball team and everyone else. And I would like to be able to play, have the tribes play the Maxville team and just make each year be amazing, but use that exhibition of using the old words they used back in the day to bring in the descendants of Maxville and other um, logging towns to share this is part of your history and to create that bridge for others that don't know or when I found out so late in my life that we get to make that squidgy that data to um, you know that kids know that wherever they are to provide an opportunity and a way to approach our trauma in a space like that. I definitely would like to address trauma. Is like how does land shape memory and, and how does land shape relationship to it? <clears throat> I can just imagine the laughter of the, the kids when they snuck away to be together, to hang out in the riverway and to find ways to play in that space and they're using their imaginations and running in the space. I have never met my grandfather, but I feel him in that space too. Um, as you know, he and dad came in boxcars from the south and wondering what it was gonna be like. Was it going to be different? Was it going to, were they bringing their families out of something into something better? I'm traumatized at the DNA level as a result of our systemic racist history in this country. And then what do I do with that? I'm not a victim and I build this work to help again. I'm only one of many stories that I actually know. What does it look like to create healing? The land provides, you know, um, lots of materials for healing. And so it provides so much. So you, we absolutely, it's an intimate relationship. One of the things that I have been stewing on um, that Gwen 
shared with us is her vision of justice. And she was saying that she doesn't really know what justice looks like um, in America because it is so often ignored and not given to black people. As if black people are just not even talked about, not even talked about or recognized um, by dominant culture and by peoples in positions of power. Good point. Gwen purchasing the land of Maxville for herself and for her community is, at least to me, a small justice, a small land justice, and a small justice and step towards a truer and more healing remembrance of the past and of Maxville for the community. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. That's like a big leap of justice. She was the one who paved her own justice and like her ancestors' justice. Like that was all the work on her. And I think that speaks a lot to just environmental justice in the past in general with the communities that are affected or the communities that have been hurt. They're the ones who usually do all the work. In order to get that recognition, in order to get that land so that they can heal from the injustices in the past. And I think that's something we directly see with Gwen and her story. Yeah, and I think her doing this work and the way that she interacts with the land of Maxville is very healing. Um, and I think that she allows for the space of Maxwell and in her talking about her visions for Maxwell in the future, envisions it as a space for all types of people to come and experience the interpretive center and experience what the people who are living on this land experienced. Um, and I think that really hones in on the way that land can really reconnect us being on land. Uh, and having access to land connects us not only to the land, but also to our joys and ways to heal from trauma, especially um, in the Black community, land-based trauma, and just being able to be in a space authentically without having the expectations of you're expected to work on this land and you're expected to give this much for others to get more and yeah just her creating a true space for healing also her retelling just how people have come into the maxwell interpretive center not even at the site um and learning about this history and like coming to tears and having really emotional really emotional reactions to the information there and that just kind of reaffirms the importance of recognition and the importance of having access to land and having access to knowledge that you didn't once have before. So talking about environmental justice and um, oppression on the land and a lot of these things that we've been dealing with with the Maxwell story, you know, there there's a lot of a complex narrative that Gwen is trying to do justice to in the present day. And I I really admire her for seeking to do, to he do healing in a lot of ways. But one of the things that I, I think we didn't talk about much out on the road, but deserves some thought is how for all its complexities and and tragedies and oppressions and sometimes joys and moments of of togetherness Maxville also represents a gear an engine in the project of American expansion there's a lot of well I mean it's a lumber camp the trees that once there there were hundreds of years old old growth forest filled with creatures that can only exist in such forests and they're gone now being at the site you know most there's there's huge stumps everywhere and the trees are young and crowded together it's a place that is in desperate need of, of healing of its own 
but it also one of the most tragic aspects of it is that you have these people that are that are being oppressed on this land and in trying to survive that oppression they are participating in the expansion of of America and its violent colonial project in the west and that's just something that i mean i don't have an answer to or or a lot of <laughs> like thoughts on besides my concern but it is something that i think we need to think about when it comes to places like this there we were able to see some of the most beautiful wildlife with deer and elk roaming freely and killdeer having their eggs on the ground and you could hear the chirping of birds all the time and one a deer or an elk still not very sure which one it was visited our campsite and our tents and it kind of scared us a little bit i think that if gwen is able to still be on the land and have people come but also steward the land in the way in a way that honors not only the people and the history but also the animals in the land in general that that has even more potential for healing and just being in the space and I think for me it helped me to respect the space even more than I already did yeah I think if we're thinking about the animals in the conception of the space it allows for even an even better healing potential and for even more joy and laughter and love to come out of the space. We have a history of dominating nature and things and there's really like humans aren't better, <laughs> aren't better than any other animal out there. So I think that's something that we keep in mind and I think Gwen does keep that in mind too. Beyond that, like being physically in the land and having to reconcile with the trauma that happened and the trauma in the community and her own experience of growing up as a black woman in the Pacific Northwest, it was emotional and hard. And the way that she described it brought up a lot of trauma and emotions within our, within our own group. I think we felt her pain through our own stories and through our own history, especially when thinking about our family history and thinking about our ancestors and the trials and errors that they had to do to get us where we are today, it's difficult to deal with. But she does speak about how reimagining Maxville and working on these projects to make Maxville known and the history of it known and her ancestors known and her dad known has created this sense of relief and joy and happiness, not only for her her history and her family, but also for herself. She, t she talks about how she used to wish that she could be anything but herself. And now she looks in the mirror and loves everything about her. She loves being Gwen. It's such an emotional, an emotional feeling to work through. It's just loving yourself. And it took her so much time to love herself. But being physically at a space where she could reconnect with her family and reconnect with people who she had direct ties to, although it was hard and although there was a lot of, like, blood, sweat, and tears within that, she grew. And I think that's really beautiful. I think Gwen is an amazing person trying to do great work for not only giving justice to the past, but giving justice for the future. After sort of learning about the, the story of Maxville um, in the past and now running into the present with the good work Gwen is doing, it, it, it has become pretty apparent to me that it is a, a complex sort of place one that contains a lot of suffering and a lot of a lot of violence it is a place that to me felt haunted in a lot of ways by the spirits that remain there 
in whatever form that they take. But it also feels like a place of healing, especially now, um, especially because of the hard work Gwen has been doing and the hard work Gwen is going to do. Healing is something that we as a class had to grapple with. <laughs> throughout the course of this journey. And healing, if anything, is is one of the most important things we learned from the Wallawa Valley. So as we're exploring this place, as it tries to heal itself, especially Maxville, the Snake River, Hell's Canyon, all these places that we've explored, I do just have one final question. And that is, where are the Nez Perce in this story? Thank you for listening to Land, Water, Justice, Wallawa Valley. Now that we have heard major stories from the history of this valley, we turn towards the future. Tune in next time as we talk to Nez Perce leaders and environmental stewards about the future of this land and how we can learn to live well as a part of it. Thank you for listening.